The following is part of the A1-Wrestling.com podcast family. Hello there, wrestling fans. Welcome back to another edition of Classic Wrestling Memories. We are on our fourth episode, and it's been quite the ride. Glad to be back on board. Glad to be back in the studios here recording another episode of Classic Wrestling Memories. We have a very unique topic for you this week. We are talking, this show is called Babyface 101. We're going to talk all things Babyface, what makes a great Babyface, and we're going to give examples of of great baby faces and we're going to talk what is a white meat baby face and i do say we because i do have my normal co-host here for classic wrestling memories crazy train jonathan bullock all aboard ladies and gentlemen it is nice to be back here on classic wrestling memories wrestling fans uh this was one of the many podcasts that was affected by the great computer crash of 2017 (laughs) along with you know uh Pretty much everything on the Geekville Radio Network got hit, so uh, we're sorry for the delay. We're just getting this show started, and then we we hit a snafu, but uh, can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs or so, they say, so, you know. Right, yeah, absolutely. But we are back. Uh, I think, in the end, we're going to be better than ever, and if you're hearing us for the first time, you can catch up on all the shows at ClassicWrestlingMemories.com. We've had Mike Mooneyham on, talking Starcade 83. We had Susan Tex Green talking working to territories in the 70s, and the last episode we talked the Gold Dust Trio in the 1920s. Well, we're not talking about a specific show or a specific era in this episode. We're talking, I don't know if philosophy would be the word train, but really just kind of the role of the babyface in, in pro wrestling. You know, we, we said that this whole show, this whole podcast is going to be about old school wrestling, the stuff that we grew up on the style that I tried to adhere to when I was a performer. Um, and I think uh, one of the things that fans like you, yourself and myself are lament is this current status and regular and modern day wrestling that, Oh, baby faces and heels don't matter. Uh, and I don't think that's very true. I think anytime, uh, if you look historically, anytime the wrestling business has been hot and a lot of money's being drawn, it's black hats versus white hats to steal a phrase from, Rick Rude, uh, that, you know, it's that, that struggle of good versus evil, right versus wrong. And, um, I like a lot of fans and people in the business, uh, love NXT because they seem to, to actually do that still. And when the, the last, um, special they had, which I guess was probably about three weeks ago now, their, their, uh, takeover, mm-hmm. there was that wonderful turn, uh, at the end of the latter tag team match where, Champa turned on Tommaso Champa turned on Johnny Gargano after they had lost to the Arthur Payne. and I'm sitting here watching this turn, and the crowd was reacting the way you wanted them to react. I'm going, see, this is this is babyface and heel 101. Yes, this is this is old school wrestling, and that's why I suggested this as a topic to you. Did you see the match I'm talking about and the turn I'm speaking of? Yes, yes. Uh, I really that turn. I think we could kind of see coming, dating back to the. Cruiserweight Classic, because they had a match where Gargano mm-hmm. beat Ciampa in the tournament. And for what it's mm-hmm. worth, uh, Johnny Gargano had a Q&A on his Facebook a couple years back. This is back when he was still you know, doing like AIW and, and PWO. The Super and, Indies. 
Yeah, exactly. And so he was just at, taking questions from fans. And I asked him, do you prefer being a good guy or a bad guy? And he said, good guy. And I know a lot of workers actually prefer being heel, but there are some mm-hmm. that, that prefer being babyface. So I it, fall in that category. <laughs> yeah, it's, but it, it's, it's natural because I've seen Ciampa's heel work before. And, you know, there, there's no gray area in that storyline. You had a guy no. that just turned on his friend, blamed his friend for his failures. And, uh-huh. you know, now when those two fight, I don't think you're going to get the, lockups and then the the headlocks and the uh, arm drag takedowns and stuff like that mm-hmm. as soon as that bell rings it better be they're they're trying to kill each other sure it's a, it's a grudge match at this point i see what you're saying so you know if we're going to talk about babyface 101 what makes a great babyface why babyfaces are so important and what they do that makes them a babyface i'm kind of curious as a you know a guy who can't be as objective as he used to be because i was in the business for so long as as, as a wrestler myself as a longtime fan, what what to you makes a babyface, Seth? What, what what says you're sitting here and you're watching your TV or you're at your local arena watching a show that makes you say this is the guy I'm supposed to cheer for? This is why he's the good guy. What are those traits that you look for? He's the guy that inspires you, and you want to see him win. Uh, you know, I know fans, sports fans, they kind of live vicariously through their sports teams. I think a lot of fans would live vicariously through the baby face. And I actually have a list of four things for each uh, trait here. I, I, I have a, a list of things a baby face would never do and a baby face would always do. Now, this is not a definite. You know, This is for the most part. There are exceptions to every rule is what you're saying. R- right. Uh, and one of the names I'll throw out there right now who is an exception to this rule is Stone Cold Steve Austin. Stone Cold Steve Austin was absolutely a baby face. But he was not the traditional babyface. You know, he's what I think you were you would say a a, a character babyface, not a white meat babyface. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'll explain the difference a little bit when I hear what you got to say. Okay. So starting first, a, a babyface would never. First thing a babyface would never do is cheap shot. There's a reason it's called a cheap shot. You know, the the babyface wants to earn the victory, wants to earn it fair and square, and isn't going to take the low road. Mm-hmm. Uh, a babyface is never easily distracted, you know, which it is certainly not the case in a lot of WWE stuff because you know you see guys get distracted just by music going off. How many distraction finishes do we see on a typical Raw every week now? In eight matches, we might see five in with distraction finishes. Yeah, it's it's like the deadliest move in all of WWE is the roll up from behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the deadliest move is cue their music entrance music. Yeah, <laughs> which uh, is is uh, off on a tangent. I've never liked that about the WWF, even in the old school days, where they would queue up somebody's music for a run-in. It, 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 I understand you want that audio and visual of the crowd popping and reacting, but if a bad guy runs in and jumps a good guy from behind through the crowd, or a babyface runs out to valiantly save another babyface, isn't the reaction going to be pretty good even if there's not music? Right. Just saying. As Jim Cornette would said about... I forget, it was some event where Babyface's music hit up. It's just like, you know, if I'm getting the hell beat out of me, I don't want my friend waiting for his music to hit before it comes out to save me. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I will speak to that as a, as a, as a former Babyface myself. But anyways, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, number three on my list, a Babyface never cheats unless provoked. You know, if a Babyface is cheating, you know, using a chair or something to that effect, you know, using the closed fists or... Mm-hmm. It's usually fighting fire with fire. 
you know, the bad guy did it first, so turnabout's fair play. And that mm-hmm. that's one of those, you know, Steve Austin, I think, would be the exception to the rule because Steve Austin will use a chair if it's in front of him, you know, that's, mm-hmm. but, but anyway, uh, a baby face never uses weapons as weapons, only equalizers. You know, a baby face, I can see picking up a chair if he's got three guys that, that are trying to jump him. You know, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I'm just listening to your reasons. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm fascinated right now. I always like to pick the, I mean, I, I guess as a performer, you, you think you're, you you understand your job is to kind of sense what the crowd wants and give it to them. And if you're really good, you, you, you know what that is, but it, it's, I can't, you can't be taught. You can't learn it in training. You can only learn it through experience and working in front of live crowds. And I felt personally that I was very good at that. And I think I knew why, but hearing it from fans makes, makes you understand. I think you understand where I'm going with that. Right. You know? Right. So those are the four things that I have that a baby face would never do. Now mm-hmm. is my four things a baby face always does. Mm-hmm. Ba- a baby face is always going to stick to his guns, especially in a match. You know, he's going to go down. If he's going to go down, he's going to go down swinging. You know, he's, he's, mm-hmm. he's not going to uh, chicken out of the fight, so to speak. Right. Uh, a baby face always tries to stay on the offensive. You know, when, when you see a good baby face, especially some of the more athletic guys, I think Kid Cash is a perfect example because he's been a great baby face and been a great heel. When he's working baby face, he strings together two, three, four cool moves in a row you right. know, to, you know, to, 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 to keep on the offensive, whereas a heel is more likely to stalk his prey and mock his prey as he's controlling the match. Um, and that, that was actually my third point there, was when a babyface is controlling the match, it's usually a series of moves chained together because he is trying, or she, is trying to win the match, not just you know, humiliate the opponent. Right. And even if it's an old-school <gasps> gasp hold, mm-hmm. it's usually a hold that is not um, what would be seen as, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not, I don't want to say vicious, but it's, it's an attempt to set up for something down the road. It's not just to inflict pain. I guess mm-hmm. would be the way I'm, the best way to describe. Is, is that what you're kind of saying? Right, right. It, it's I mean, Rick, 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 be... Ricky, Ricky, yeah, Ricky Steamboat clamped on a, a arm bar because he was working for that double chicken wing. He wasn't doing it because he like the Andersons would use an arm bar just trying to to break the guy's arm. That right. I guess is big. Do you understand the the what I'm saying there in the examples? Right. Now, uh, Flair even working as a babyface was probably a good example. Although he did it too as a heel, where he'd do that that knee breaker because it was a mm-hmm. setup to the figure four. Sure, sure. But if you noticed how he went into it was often different between when he was a babyface and when he was a heel. But I digress. Right. And and the last thing I have, the babyface is always appreciative of the fan support. You know, the mm-hmm. the, the the babyface will traditionally credit the fans for giving him the courage to stand up and win the match. Those are eight real eight really good points. Do you want me to knock all of them down now and just tell you how wrong you are? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Actually, you, you, you're, you're, you're very correct. Um, a lot of what you're saying is what was taught to me and what I've, I've passed on to others when they've asked for advice and what I found effective in my career. Um, I think we need to step back, though, and kind of explain what we were talking about. Uh, essentially, in wrestling, there's always been, historically speaking, two kinds of baby faces, a white meat baby face and a character baby face. And they're pretty self-explanatory, but I'll... Uh, if you you know indulge me, I'll explain them. A white meat baby face is traditionally what what our society sees as a good guy, and of course that can change with eras and with you know socio political winds of the time. But 
overall, a certain look is going to be a baby face. Right. Ricky Steamboat is, is a great example of a white meat baby face. Ricky Morton is a great example of a white meat baby face. Rick Martell was a great example of a white meat baby face. Booker T was a great example when he was a, of a white meat baby face. What, the Rock was a great example of a, what, what all these guys have in common. Good looking, tough. Uh, you know, you're seeing a pattern here with the, with the names I listed, right? Right. Uh, now, when I first heard the term "white meat baby face," I actually thought it meant the smiling, you know, stained school kids, lawful good. No. Which, admittedly, you, you know how lawful good I consider myself. I, I still like, but mm-hmm. that that type of character is passe. You know, Captain America is probably mm-hmm. the only example of it now. The best mm-hmm. way to describe a white meat baby face, I think, is the women want him and the guys want to be him, or you know, mm-hmm. vi- vice versa for a female character. And they're, sure. they're just going to be universally cheered. You know, it's not going to mm-hmm. be like the John Cena or the Roman Reigns example where half the crowd's cheering them and half the crowd's booing them. Right. I think, I think they actually are good examples uh, to strike, to even, you know, back up what we're talking about. Take both those, those young men. Well, John's not young anymore. He's 40, you know. Just take both those guys and take them out of the bubble that is pro wrestling. And you just put them on the cover of a magazine or in a suit on the, on the Good Morning America or the Today Show, mm-hmm. and you they just exude something that's trustworthy and you want to like, don't they? Right. Good looking guys who seem like they're honest and and humble and that's mm-hmm. that's baby that is babyface one hundred and one. Yeah, we have seen John Cena go into a non wrestling environment and carry himself very well. And sure. uh, I actually walked into the room at, at my folks' house. Mm-hmm. And actually, the commercial, I forget what it was for, but it had Roman Reigns and his daughter uh, in it. Uh-huh. And they loved that commercial. And they had no idea who Roman Reigns was because, you know, they don't watch wrestling like I do. So I had to explain that. Good looking, good looking guy who's obviously athletic playing with his little girl. How more baby face can you get? Exactly. And and they, they actually were a little surprised when I said, yeah, he, he's he, he's the he's held the same title that Hulk Hogan's held because, you know, because. Right. What, uh, and Hulk's another great example of a white meat baby face, you know, mm-hmm. the way he looked, you know, with the tan and the bustles. And I mean, not saying there are other guys that had Hogan's look that were heels, you know, um, superstar Graham, Lex Luger. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there are there are a lot of I mean, there, like I said, there are exceptions to every rule, but typically a white meat baby. I guess a great example we've used on another podcast podcast here on geekville radio was when we talked about the, the netflix series of, of luke cage you yourself said as soon as he as soon as he came on screen you knew this was the good guy and you were supposed to cheer for him right i can't think of the actor's name he plays him but he's a good looking guy he's athletic uh, mike, but he's mike a, coulter mike coulter but there's a humility and a, and a, and a every man vibe to him you know mm-hmm. so that's a white meat baby face um outside and, and i think that you know when we're talking about that versus, you know, when we're talking about Cena and Roman versus all those other great baby faces from the past eras we were, we, we mentioned, that is kind of the thing that is modern wrestling. You know, it's, it's like back in the day, there was no line between this is the wrestling quote unquote wrestling world and the real world because it was kayfabe. Those lines were blurred. The wrestling world was the real world as far as the fans were concerned, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. So that, that's, you know, maybe, you know, I, 937 on the list of 3,000 things that's wrong with the internet and kayfabe dying. <laughs> but anyway, um, I digress. But of course, the other kind of baby face would be a character baby face. I was a character baby. 
other great examples of character, but which is the guy who doesn't typically look like a baby face or the guy that you're supposed to say right away, oh, this is the guy I'm supposed to cheer for, but they have something about them. There's a charisma about them or a, a, a uniqueness or a, um, I have a perfect example of, of where we're going with, if you're talking character baby faces. Uh, uh, the, the two number, in my opinion, the two greatest character, well, the three greatest character baby faces of all time are Undertaker, Dusty Rhodes, and Stone Cold Steve Austin, in my opinion. Okay. Well, yeah, what I was going to use as an example for a character baby face was uh, Mick Foley. You know, Mick's a great uh, character. Junkyard Dog was a great character baby face. Uh, when he chose to be, when they were baby faces, Jim Duggan and Dr. Destiny Williams are both character, great character baby faces. I feel Bray Wyatt, if we're talking modern, has the potential to be a great character baby face. And I still you know? say if he turns baby face, he needs to change his theme music to The Outsider by Shooter Jennings. <laughs> <laughs> the one he's got is pretty cool, but I, once again, mm-hmm. I digress. But I mean, I think, I, think, I think our listeners, the wrestling fans, understand, you know, now that we've kind of explained it, if they didn't know already, what the difference between a white meat baby face and a character baby face is. Right. Now, what I think works really for both types it, it's just kind of baby face in general a, a, uh-huh. a quote a quote that i think sums up the perfect baby face and i'm actually stealing a line from bruce Bos- bruce boxleitner in uh, babylon 5 but it's the, the quote is never start the fight but always finish it right uh john wayne who was a great white meat baby face outside of the wrestling world go watch any of his movies he never shot first mm-hmm. but he always won <laughs> You know, he never, he never drew, he always drew second, but he was just faster. So I think that, you know, the parallels of the gunslinger and some of these other analogies we'll be using throughout this episode, I think that they, they, they have merit to them. But for me, um, the way, the way I was as a baby face and the things that were most important to me, obviously bumping and selling is important to a baby face. Um, your job is essentially to get the, get the heel over as this vile, vicious, arrogant, son of a bitch who the crowd is going to want to pay to see them get their butts kicked. Well, that ain't going to happen if you don't sell. And I know Hulk Hogan is one that we will talk about later is arguably the greatest baby face of all time. He's definitely in the conversation. Um, he didn't bump a lot, but my God, Hogan knew how to sell guys. I mean, mm-hmm. you go back and watch stuff. I, mean, I know it's, it's passe and it's old school, but the bear hug is, is a simple move. I don't think anybody sold the bear hug better than Hulk Hogan. Oh my God, the way he do his arms and the facials he do, that was incredible. You thought the guy was breaking his back in his rib, rib cage. It's just awesome. I remember watching a match. It was the match that Sting and Hogan had on Nitro, one of the early Nitros, and they were both baby faces. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Sting put Hogan in, in the Scorpion Deathlock. And mm-hmm. Hogan is screaming like he is just in utter agony. Sure. Now, you can't oversell, you know, mm-hmm. but I think that still, I don't think. Any of the people we're going to name, even guys who selling isn't really part of their gimmick, like like a like a Undertaker. Undertaker still sold. He just knew how to sell as as a big guy who had this invincible aura. He always sold backwards. Like mm-hmm. he was he was staggered. He wasn't completely out. Um, right. Case in point in selling for me personally, and I've told you this story off mic, so I think our listeners might enjoy this story too. In my 15, 16 year career. Probably the, the 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 one singular thing I was most proud of, and it was the moment in my career when I said, "Yeah, kid, you've made it." To myself, was uh, actually a small show in a little town called Saluda, South Carolina. It's about sixty seventy five miles outside of Columbia, our capital. 
that Susan was running a Susan Green was running a, a show there uh, at the high school. So it was a decent crowd. You know, it was a high school show, but probably about 350, 400 people. And um, anyway, I was in the semi main event and she did an angle. She was booking it, of course, because it's her show. Uh, she wanted to do an injury angle. She was going to come back the next month to that same building in that same little town and wanted me to get the sympathy that we're talking about. Uh, we're going to talk about, you know, uh, I'll get to that in a second. But, you know, you want the crowd to, like you said, relate to you as a baby face. So they're sympathetic to you and all that. But my point in this story is about selling. They were supposed to injure my leg. And, you know, they they came in. I got jumped and they worked my leg over and. Um, it, it leads to another part of what was what's great baby faces is the baby face is down but never out, you know. Um, and when you are out, it's because it's something devastating to get the heel over to establish. But I'll, I digress. I'll get to that in a second. But you know, as I'm selling my leg, I'm 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 doing the another thing baby faces do is is they they like like you said they're they don't they they're gonna they're gonna fight to the bitter end. I didn't want the help from other wrestlers i didn't want the help from other from from the paramedics there i was going to walk back to the locker room you know bloodied but unbowed because i'm mm-hmm. i'm i'm a i'm a valiant baby face and so i sell my leg obviously from the ring i get out of the ring all the way to the locker room now susan green a hall of fame caliber you know performer in the female rank she's in that discussion uh, uh contemporary you know if you if you say like men the greatest of all time or you know you Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair's, you know, Hogan's, those guys. She's in that topic for, for men or for women, you know? Hey, doesn't she collect Halls of Fame <laughs> inductions? I think so. I think so. <laughs> but, I mean, that's, that's, that's how I perceive her. And she's been everywhere, done everything, seen everything. And I'm about seven years of my career, so I'm already humbled by the fact that a woman like that would put me in, a, in the semi-main event of a show she's booking, obviously. She's giving me a – I'm figured in and got a monster push from her. But as I get to the back to the locker room, I sit down, and it's like it's a high school show. So it's everyone. I think most of our listeners have been to high school. They know what a high school locker room looks like. And I'm sitting on the little benches there, and she comes running around because she had watched from the curtain, and she just very calmly looked at me and said, "Do you need me to go get the paramedics?" I had got I sold so well. She thought I was legitimately hurt. I said, "That's it. I'm done." I can retire. I've just, I've just worked. I've just worked a veteran like Susan Green. She totally thought that my knee was injured. I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> you <laughs> successfully worked your own mentor. <laughs> I, yes, I, I, I could, I could main event a WrestleMania now, and it wouldn't have been as great as that moment right there. <laughs> you know, so that's and I, and if you know, if Susan's sitting here thinking that my leg is hurt, you're sitting in that crowd. What are you thinking? That you you're thinking? Probably, oh my yeah. god, that. Guy has got a broken leg, right? Yeah, yeah or like, at least like, a dislocated knee or something. Yeah, if if you show if you show your face again, you're going to be in a cast. Mm-hmm. And I did to sell the injury. On the we had one of those knee mobilizers I had gotten from the hospital that I worked at. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm talking about the ones that are like the big Velcro wrap up, and it it has the it, essentially you can't bend your knee. You know that's that's why it's called a knee mobilizer and right. a pair of crutches. And I walked to my car in the knee mobilizer on crutches with my bag. So the fans that even saw me walk into my car, they thought my leg was really hurt. So it worked. <laughs> uh, but th- but and that's, that's a great example of selling. Uh, selling is very important. You can't – if you don't sell, then the fans don't can't relate to you. Um, what you said about the fans relating to you I think is one of the key things to being a great baby face. And that's one of those things that can't be taught. It just – either you have it or you don't. 
you know? Right, right. Either they're going to buy you or they're not. It's an it factor. Um, there's all kinds of it factors, but the it factor to being a baby face is just the, the crowd likes you. Dusty Rhodes is a great example of that. This is just a rugged, hated heel for the first, what, seven, eight, ten years of his career. But when he finally turned baby face, oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? I mean, there's just Dusty had a vibe about him that he was one of you. He was the common man, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, that's always, that's always important is, is, and that ties into what you said about you always are thankful of the fans. Now you don't have to be golly gee about that. You don't have to, to, you know, thank the, but it needs to be there. Even if it's just bubbling under the surface, stone cold, who we talked about being one of the greatest baby faces of all time. He never came out and thanked the fans for supporting him, but the little looks he would do when they would, when they would, you know, do the, 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 you know, the, the call and response to his little, you know, what and all that kind of stuff. There was an acknowledgement on Stone Cold's part that the fans were, he, he was with the fans and the fans were with him. It was subtle. It wasn't the same as others I'll talk about later, just, you know, literally thanking the fans in, a, in, an, in an interview. But right. it was there. The way Austin would roll with the what chance and, you know, mm-hmm. you know, kind of repeat himself, but say something a little bit mm-hmm. different. You know, that little pregnant pause he would do and he would just kind of look at the, he wouldn't wink at the crowd, but he would look at them. And and just kind of and kind of let them know, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you guys. I'm one of you. You, mm-hmm. you see what I'm saying? Right. And and so that's very important. So you've got to sell. You've got to get those fans to, to to buy into you emotionally, so that they have sympathy for you and they they believe in you and are paying going to pay money to see you beat up beat up the heel. Which leads to my last thing: you've got to have that fire and determination. It is what you were talking about when you were talking about. Uh, uh, down, but never, you know, you know, was, is he's going to fight to the bitter end. He would only use a weapon if it's introduced. That's the example I'm talking about fire, you know? Right. Yeah. You're going to sell and you're going to sell and you're going to sell. But when it's your time, it's the crowd knows that that's when the crowd's behind. That's the crescendo of the match. It's Hulk Hogan, quote unquote, hulking up, you know, right. when he'd start pumping the arms, it's Lawler dropping the strap in the mid South Coliseum. You know, it's the rock stopping and taking a smell and raising the eyebrow. I mean, it is, those are all guys who had great visual cues to the crowd of I'm firing up, you know, uh, not all great baby faces had that, but, but you saw it. I mean, when Ricky Steamboat made his comeback, when Bruno made his comeback, you knew, you knew. Yeah. Or Shawn Michaels doing, doing the kick up. Yes, exactly. The nip up. Yeah, exactly. These are all. These are those are guys who, like I said, they, they had visual cues for the audience. I'm making my comeback. I'm, I'm my fires there. And even in the false hope spots where it's not really a comeback, it's a little mini comeback just to let the crowd know that you're not dead. That's all part of that. Is it? it, it it's curtain key moments. And once again, you only can learn this through the experience of working in front of a live crowd. Depending and it depends on how long the match is and where. There's a lot of variables that are involved, but nonetheless. While you're taking that butt whooping and you're selling and bumping for the heel, like I was talking about, you do have to put moments in there to let the crowd know that you're not dead. And those are little mini bursts of fire. And it's literally like a fire. If you've ever sat around a campfire, every once in a while, when the the fire is dying down before you stoke it back up, it'll get that one little piece of dry wood and it'll pop and flare up just for a second. You, You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's essentially what that is. And then when you stoke that fire, it's raging again. And that's where it is when you take it home. So, so, you know, relate to the crowd, make them part of you, make them part of you sell like crazy so that you get sympathy and have fire in your comeback. Cause you're down, but you're never out. Those are, 
what and I think essentially that's what you said in your the four the four nevers and the four always. Um, I just said it in a different way. So uh, apparently I was doing what was right, <laughs> and I was passing on the right thing. Not that I thought it was wrong because I know the people telling me that, and, and some of the people that I'll talk about in the next segment are people who actually you know pulled me aside and said, "Kid, do this," you know. <laughs> um, uh, but anyway. I think I think now we've kind of given the, the the listeners a good idea of what a baby face is and what they should do, and uh, you know, and why we're doing this show. And uh, of course, we love your comments anytime. Uh, tell us what you think makes a great baby face. Give us your examples of great baby faces and why. Uh, you can do that, of course, on Twitter. I'm at I'm at Crazy Train underscore JB. Absolutely. The Twitter is A1W Podcast and the Facebook is A1 Wrestling. If you want to email me, I am at Seth at A1-Wrestling.com. So uh, mm-hmm. any one of those plethora of social mediums, we will read what you say and we will respond. We will let you We will let you know. And hey, some of the best responses we can read on the air next week. That's right. So please just let us know what, what, what you think makes a great baby face and who some of your favorite baby faces are and why. Uh, and and why you guys think about that and go hop on your computers to send that to us we're going to take a little break and pay the bills and when we come back we're going to both give you examples of of what we think are great baby faces and why sound like a plan absolutely this is classic wrestling memories and we will be right back now available on itunes and stitcher geekville radio Geekville Radio is a show dedicated to news and subjects in the world of geekery. Superheroes, science fiction, comics, gaming, TV. If it qualifies as something for nerds or geeks, you'll find it at Geekville Radio. From one quarter of the creative team that brings you the A1 podcast, Geekville Radio is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and at geekvilleradio.com. Attention all Time Lords and Ladies, Geekville Radio presents Examining the Doctor, a weekly look at everybody's favorite Time Lord, the Doctor. Join Mark and Seth as they bring their signature blend of knowledge and humor to favorite and not-so-favorite episodes of Doctor Who. From Hartnell to Capaldi, Examining the Doctor provides episode commentaries for classic and current Doctor Who fans alike. Examining the Doctor, available on iTunes, Stitcher, and at GeekVilleRadio.com. Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. This is Classic Wrestling Memories, and I think if the philosophy of the babyface was the meat part of the show, I think we're getting into the potatoes here, or maybe maybe the biscuits and gravy part of the, the, the show here. We're each going to give three examples of babyfaces. Now, in my book, I think just about all of these guys are white meat babyfaces, but... Obviously, as we've discussed, uh, some of them might might fit into the character baby face. Now, I'll start off with a guy we've already mentioned a bit in the show for a great baby face, and that is the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Uh, it goes without saying, one of the greatest talkers of all time. Mm-hmm. And Dusty could relate to blue collar workers because he was one, you know, son of a plumber baby. And I, going- I think you can see now in my explanation, hey, he is, he he could be considered a character baby face. He isn't what you consider traditionally. Good look, and he didn't have the Adonis body, but right. he, he had in spades that ability to relate to the crowd that we're talking right. about. That it's an intangible; it isn't something that can be learned. Like what Michael Hayes says, you know, here is a bleach blonde, fat Texas Southern guy with a lisp, but yet has all the jive and soul of a black man. What is not to like? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
But going back to my uh, things about uh, what Babyface never does, you know, when's the last time you saw Dusty cheap shot somebody? Never. Yeah. You know, and about you know, staying on the offensive and and uh, not not uh, stalking. I mean, did Dusty ever make Ric Flair chase him? Mm-mm. No. I you know a great example of that. Uh, that, that I'm not sure if you're familiar with it because you're more familiar with his later career. But uh, the main event of Stark. 84 and at Stark 85 were both Flair versus Dusty for the world title. Stark 86, Dusty actually fought Tully Blanchard for the television title in a first blood match. And there was a point in that match during the comeback when Dusty's showing that fire I talked about and J.J. Dillon's shoe had been introduced into the ring. Shocker, I know. And Dusty has got Tully down and Tully's doing the heel kind of selling, which, spoiler, we are going to do a heel 101 Next week, so <laughs> stay tuned, listeners. Um, it's only fair. We're going to do Babyface 101. We'll do Heel 101. Um, Don't worry. We're not going to do Tweener 101. That doesn't exist. <laughs> no, no. And so he Dusty grabs the shoe, and he's got Tully down on, his, down on his knees, and he pulls the shoe back like he's going to hit him with the shoe. Stops, looks at the shoe, goes, nah, and shakes his head, throws it over his shoulder, and just starts hitting him with his fist instead. That's a perfect <laughs> example, I think, of what you're talking about, isn't it? Right, right. And then bust him open with his bust him open with his bare fist, not with the shoe. That's but I digress. I don't I don't know if you're familiar with that match, but it's it's a great example. Of course it's on the network listeners. If you want to see an example of what we're talking about, Starcade eighty six, Tully Blanchard versus Dusty Rhodes, it's towards the end of the match, the spot I just talked about. Yeah, if if Dusty used Nux or something like that, it's because Flair used him first, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if Dusty got distracted, it was something big, you know, like, uh, you know, baby doll turning or something like that. You know, he, he right. didn't get, he didn't get distracted just because somebody came out, uh, on the ring apron or something or, or the, or the, you know, the, uh, the entrance way. What was the classic when he got jumped, when he got jumped by the Andersons and flair to start the whole, you know, the heart, the whole four horsemen and his leg broke. I think that's a great example too, you know, mm-hmm. and Dusty might use a chair, but usually be when he's outnumbered or if there's this unstoppable monster, you know, remember, uh, big, you know, the infamous chair shot over the head of big Bubba. And he did the same thing a few years later with Ming Haku left it singing around, hanging around their neck like a, and of course you have to understand not, not to get off topic and jump, jump ship to next week's episode on heel one Oh one. That was to establish Bubba Rogers and Ming as legit badasses because a, an over baby face like Dusty. Hit them with a chair, and they didn't even blink. But I digress once again. Right, right. Now, another thing I'd like to talk about, and we'll do these for, for each of the baby faces, examples of them being great baby faces, great baby face moments. One of the great, greatest baby face promos of all time, I think just about any old school fan has heard it, the Hard Times promo. If you haven't heard it, it's very easy to find. Just look up Dusty Rhodes, Hard Times. It's all over YouTube. It's all over the network. It is not right. hard to find. right. Uh, the the Starcade '85 match, and also uh, uh, example a few years later. It was shortly before Nitro started, and Dusty was back, and I think he may have even been booking WCW. It's around '94, I want to say. And Dustin, you know, a few years before becoming Gold Dust, they were really pushing him as a solid mid carder in WCW, and they were going to do a War Games against. Um, I think it was Colonel Robert Parker's people, which would have been Harlem Heat, uh, Bunkhouse Buck, Bunkhouse and Buck, probably probably Arn. 
Yeah, yeah, Arn might might have been in there. Or, uh, or Terry Funk, maybe, or Dick Slater. Could have been a, a, a plethora of guys. Yeah, Blacktop Bully might have been in there as, as, as well. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, you know, Smash. But Dusty cut that father-to-son promo, that one about all this time I, ne- I neglected you, but please just let me be your partner in this match. And, you know, that, I, I'm actually getting goosebumps just talking about that promo right now. It's so amazing. But, uh, so th- those are... Great examples in my book of Dusty Rhodes being a perfect example of a babyface. Would you say that that promo you're referring to is a great example of relating to the fans? Because here he is as a father. There's a lot of I mean, everybody out in the crowd. If they're not a dad, they've they've had a a talk with their dad or wanted to have a talk like that with their dad. Correct. Yeah, yeah with the with with the exceptions of ones that maybe were orphaned at a very young age. But even if they're orphaned, they had a fantasy of what it would be like to have a father do that for them, didn't they? Right, right. Everybody's had disagreements with their dad, and one of you tries to make amends afterwards. We've we've all been through that. Right, right. Well, you know, I'm I'm gonna go to another guy. I think is 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 probably not a white meat baby face, but I don't know if he's a character baby face. He's he's kind of somewhere in the middle, I think, and that would be Bruno San Martino. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, he was what the top baby face in WWF for what 15 year run almost. Um. Bruno was not once again like Dusty. I don't think was the what we would traditionally consider a, a handsome or good looking guy. But he looked he cleaned up well. He looked good in a suit. He was extremely articulate. There was no arrogance about him whatsoever. There was a pride there. I think. Right. I uh, think he, he was proud. I think Bruno is a perfect example of an ethnic hero. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's he has a very uh, he has once again. I talked about sometimes you got to you got to just you got to have that it factor. It's not taught. Bruno had that, you know, right. here's a, here's a guy, here's a guy as a young man, as a young child, I mean, five, six, seven years old, he and his family escaped the fascist regime of Mussolini in Italy over the Alps, make it to Switzerland, and then finally make it to America. That's, that's a story that sells itself, doesn't it? Absolutely. So, so coming into the business, he already had that going for him. You know, here's a guy that, and, and, and it, he exuded a toughness that an individual who went through a situation like that would have to have. You know, it just it was part of who he was. And so it came about in one of those things. Like I said, it, it's not taught. Bruno didn't learn that. It's just who Bruno San Martino is as a man. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that he's just was he had all those traits we're talking about. He didn't cheat. Um, he only took the fair fight. But, but when he fired up, man, you knew Bruno was coming back, you know, uh, and and oh, boy, you don't sell out Madison Square Gardens. However many what record times he did. I mean, it was some like eight, eight and a half straight years is an insane record. It'll never be broken. Um, but unless you've got people willing to, to believe in you, cause this is with him on top, you know? Mm-hmm. And when I talked about earlier, uh, about the, you know, what, what the whole genesis of this, this episode was the turn of Ciampa on Johnny Gargano. I had commented to you off mic, how awesome Gargano was at selling, not anger, but disbelief and hurt. Right. And those are the little subtle things that the master baby faces can do. Because if you stop and think about it for a second, suspend your disbelief listeners, go back and watch the moment we're talking about Gargano. We know it was all, we know it's all a work, but if you suspend disbelief, Gargano was as shocked as you were or supposed to be right. Mm-hmm. And he's more hurt that his long-term friend has turned on him. Right. That think about putting yourself in Gargano's shoes at that point, you would, you would be in shock. 
you wouldn't be wanting to strike out right away if your if your best bud hit you for no reason, blind, cold cocked you, and sucker punched you. Right, like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah, why? You still, you'd still want to sit down and talk it out. Right, you haven't got to the levels of oh, screw this, I want to fight. You haven't got that's that's what a heel does. A heel's a heel would do that because it's underhanded. Well, one of my greatest examples of Bruno being that kind of babyface was the the angle that essentially made Larry Zabisco, which probably we'll get a mention just just spoiler alert once again we'll probably get a mention next week in heel 101 <laughs> but just saying um here he is Bru- he, larry is a white meat baby face who is the protege of the you know the long time long term top baby face and bruno and he finally has enough of it and blindsides him with that chair and bruno does this great juice job you know blades himself and bleeding ever. I mean, a lot of blood by any standards, but especially WWF standards. But this was the 70s, you know. But Bruno, immediately after the attack and the next television on his promo, he wasn't angry and looking for revenge. He was confused. He was hurt that this, this young man that he took under his wing would do this. That he would be, this is not what I taught him, I think is the exact wording he uses in his promo. Once again, not a difficult one to find. Put Zabisco turns, you know, Zabisco turns on Bruno into your YouTube. It will come up. A great example of the little things a babyface is supposed to do to talk to do all those things that we talked about. Bruno was not mad right away. He was hurt because a babyface, like we said, is relatable to you as a fan. He's part of you, and you're part of him or her. That's a great example of that. You're not, you're not, you're not wanting to fight right away. Yeah, you're pissed a few minutes later, but your initial reaction is shock and hurt. And a guy as tough as Bruno was even able to show that in that particular moment. Um, who you got next? Okay, and next up, I have a, a... I don't think you can find a whiter meat baby face than this man. I mean, it is, it is arguable, but uh, to me, the best example of the white meat baby face who mentioned him earlier is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. You know, Without he had, question. Yeah, he had it all. He was a good-looking guy. He was athletic, had that amazing physique because he was also a pro bodybuilder as well as a wrestler. And mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that was natural, I might add. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he cycled once or twice, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to throw brother under the bus. Mm-hmm. But it was not a regular thing. It, believe me. He right. just, the guy is a, is a legitimate gifted athlete. There's no question about that. Yeah. If he had any negatives, it's that he wasn't as great of a talker as the other two on my list here, but he can say just enough to get his point across. You believe mm-hmm. him. He's, he's not a guy that's going to walk out and carry a 15-minute promo. He, he's just not going to be mm-hmm. able to do that. But, boy, he can give you a two-minute promo and get you riled mm-hmm. up and, and believe in, believe what he's saying. And I, I think he's the perfect example of what you said. All the women wanted to be with him, and all the guys wanted to be him. That's what mm-hmm. makes him the ultimate white meat baby face. But anyways, right. I digress. Yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> I can't remember a steamboat ever using a weapon. Uh, I maybe he might have thrown a chair here, here or there. But uh, examples of steamboats' babyface moments. There's obviously the WrestleMania three match with with Randy Savage. That that whole feud really. Uh, his uh, feud with Flair in 1989, where he won the NWA title. And another WCW example, I think it was 1993. He had a feud with Rick Rude, uh, another guy who. Uh, spoiler alert! Next week we're probably going to talk a lot about and heal one hundred and one, but <laughs> you know <laughs> you talking about when he went, when 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 Rick broke his nose and he wore the he wore the uh, the bandaid on his nose for several months. 
Right, and I think it w- I think it was capped off with a uh, with an Iron Man match. I want to say yes. Well, a great Iron Man match, if I remember. Beach Blast or Beach Brawl one year. Beach it Blast, was, I believe anyway. it was called. Mm-hmm. Great match. Great match. Another example of Ricky Steamboat being a great babyface 101 was he cut a promo at WrestleMania uh, 4 when they did that grandiose tournament for the world title. It was eventually won by Randy Savage, mm-hmm. where he had his then wife and had his son, You know the, the, you know, the same son that he basically uh, lost the Intercontinental title because he wanted to be with his son when he was born. But the following WrestleMania, he said, I dedicate my career from here on. A- any wrestling match I have is dedicated to my son. How much more babyface can you get than that? No, no, you can't. You're relating that. Like I said, you're trying to relate yourself to the crowd. And we talked about earlier, uh, you know, you said with Dusty and a dad, you know, mm-hmm. there you go. Who doesn't? <laughs> So who do you have next on, on your uh, list? I'll give you a simple one that I think of about the down but never out. Of course, later in his career, we're bringing him up again, Larry Zabisco got the cruncher moniker for breaking Dustin's arm. You remember the, the, the uh, spot where they... I think, I, think was Dustin, Bar- I think it was Barry's arm. Barry's arm, yes. Where, where Dustin and Barry pulled up and he broke, he, broke, he broke Barry's arm in the car, cruncher did. And uh, later on... After they had they had done that, you know, uh, it was it was it was supposed to be, I think it was supposed to be Shane Douglas tagging with with Ricky, but he got hurt too. But Ricky was still willing to fight them for the belts one on two. Mm-hmm. Is there anything more babyface than that? You'd be hard pressed to find that. I mean, it's like he didn't he, when he was offered the opportunity to go find another partner. No, 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 I'm going to wait for my partner to come back, and if I have to take you on two on one, I will. Mm-hmm. At, that's pretty babyface. You know? <laughs> <That's> mm-hmm. in, <laughs> uh, well, I, I think my next pick is is probably the only other guy that I think you could even put in the league with with Steamboat as the ultimate babyface, and that would be Ricky Ricky Morton or Punky, as I will call him. Um, I don't think I'm getting any arguments from you on that one, am I? <laughs> that it's a he's probably right there. <laughs> Steamboat and, and Punky are the two. <laughs> Absolutely, and I know you know the man pretty well, but I, you know, yeah, I finally yeah. got to meet him at a Resistance Pro show, and mm-hmm. I remember him giving me the, one of the warmest handshakes I've ever had, looked me in the face and said, thank you for coming out, and I don't even think that was a work. I think that was a shoot. It, 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 certainly, it, came, it certainly came across it, like it, one. It was. It was. Um, a lot of the things that I learned about being a good baby face i learned from ricky morton um the whole idea with fire came from him you know i, I had we had you know, I, I worked a few shows with him and he had come up to me and told me you got to fire up kid you fire. And i said i am he goes oh you you think you are you know <laughs> that's what he <laughs> told me you, know, you, you think you are you need to do this and, and and i mean side note robert helped me out a lot too i mean robert was robert was really good with the subtle things or ricky was good with the really out things and Come on. Rock and Roll Express is a white meat baby face tag team as you're ever going to get. I mean, that just is what it is. But uh, a great. And, uh, Rob, Robert, you, you call Hoot, right? Or Ricky calls yeah, Hoot, Robert, too, right? Hoot, Hoot, everybody calls Robert. Hoot's his nickname for when he was a kid before he got into wrestling. So <laughs> when he was just put, setting up the ring for the Phil's brothers, trying to get into the business. You know, um, uh, heck, I don't even think his brother Ricky had started when he got the nickname Hoot, but I could be wrong. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, Ricky. I could give you a million examples, I think, of Punky and what made him a great baby face. I mean, if anybody's seen any of his work, they know why. And even though he kind of had that, 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 I mean, 
just so fans know, I'm every, I'm, I know a lot of our listeners listen to a lot of podcasts and shoot interviews, and you hear everybody who's been in the business, like myself, called Ricky Morton Punky. That's because he kind of favored Punky Brewster from the old, the old TV show. So that's where it came from, if you didn't know. Just... I know, I, and I know that Ricky's not going to have no heat with me for saying that. So if you, if Punk, if you got hit with me, brother, I'm sorry. You know I love you, and I hope you still love me. But anyway, um, so Leo Moon Fry, I believe, was that actress's name. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, he's just obviously Ricky was never the biggest guy in the fight, and that helped a lot. And he and he legitimately, I mean, you saw him when he got inducted a few months ago into WWE's Hall of Fame. The man's in in his 60s now, and he looks like he's maybe what 40. He just right. he just never yeah. he just we, never we, aged. We have that long-running uh, gag on the sister publication, mm-hmm. the, the A1 podcast, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. it's like Ricky and Robert, it's like they, they had their 20s, you know, they, they, mm-hmm. they grew up normally, they somehow managed to stop at 35, and they've stayed there ever since, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. But when you, when you talk about trying to get the fans to believe that you are essential to their, they are essential to your success as a wrestler... Nobody was better than that than Ricky Morton. Nobody. I think one of the best examples I can think of that is one of the more famous angles that was run during their heyday in the Crockett's. When, um, and it's a famous, once again, YouTube this, Ricky Morton slaps Ric Flair. You'll, you'll see it. Um, they did an interview, and this was on the old 605 TBS show on Saturday nights, where Flair called out Ricky and Robert to the podium there with Shivani and David Crockett. And being typical Flair, once again, no big spoiler. I'm sure he'll be mentioned a lot next week too, and he'll want to one. And he he reaches into that you know that awesome suit that Flair always had on those suits, and said he had a gift for Ricky Morton. And this was all to set up an angle for Ricky and Robert, uh, Ricky and, and and Rick to have a little small angle feud over the summer um, while Dusty was doing something else. You know, uh, it was a match that the fans had never seen. We'd always wanted to see. And it was, you know, and it was just, it was a great setup. That's because Dusty booked it, but I digress. Um, Flair pulls out a, what's obviously a, a small girl's bikini. I mean, it looks like for, you know, maybe a, a seven or eight year old girl said, told Ricky that one of his fans had left him this. One of the Rock and Roll Express's fans had left Flair this to give him. And, and Ricky's trying to stay calm and trying to stay calm and flares come with, you understand what I'm saying? You like the little girls. I like the big girls, the girls that fill their sweaters up just being prototypical flair. Right. And he's, then he's putting his finger in Ricky's face and putting Ricky's finger, in Ricky's face. And it's all these traits we've been talking about. Ricky's showing he's, he's, he's not getting, he's trying to keep his cool. He's not going to hit first. Then flair actually put his finger on him. If I remember right, that's all he needed. He slaps flares finger out of off of his chest and pulls the mic to him and he says let me tell you something it's these fans and he literally cuts a promo on flair about the fans being the reason the rock and roll express are so successful and without them they're nothing and that's the problem with the four horsemen and rick flair is that they don't they don't respect the fans or appreciate the fans and that the reason the rick that rick can style and profile and live the life that he's so proud of bragging about is because the fans pay money to come see him Great babyface promo. Mm-hmm. And it ends with an absolute wonderful finish where Flair flap, slaps Ricky and Ricky slaps him right back and he takes a bump for Ricky. <laughs> on the concrete, Ricky grabs him. And now Ricky's in his wrestling gear. He's just got a t-shirt on. Flair's in his suit, like I said earlier. Throws Flair into the ring. Flair makes a little comeback and Ricky rolls him up. And Robert slides in and makes the three count. And guess what? Voila. 
you now have a program between the world heavyweight champion and a, and a tag team guy because as David Crockett <laughs> screamed in the mic, he pinned the world heavyweight champion. You all saw it right there. One, two, three. It wasn't a match. It wasn't even a real referee. It was his tag team partner. But the fans saw it. It was a visual. And the yeah. fans, it, was, it was a visual. And the crowd knew the reason that Ricky was able to do that was because of what he just said. These fans are the reason why I'm successful. If without their support, I'm nothing. He literally says that in the promo. That is a great example of what a babyface is supposed to be. Right. And it goes back to what I said at the top of the show, where the babyface is always appreciative of the fan support. Now, what I was mm. going to say for an example of Ricky Morton being appreciative of the fans, anybody that's watched a Rock and Roll Express match knows that a good portion of their matches, Ricky's the guy that, that gets the heat put on him. He's the guy that the heels double team, and he, he's just taking hit after hit. There's a reason why in the wrestling business, especially those of us that did a lot of tag team wrestling, would say he's got the Ricky spot, I've got the Robert spot. Right. I think that's kind of self-explanatory. But although, as, as, as Hoot, oh, although Hoot will remind you, <laughs> hey, brother, at, start, at age six, when we beat the Russians in the cage, I took the heat. Remember that? Hoot's <laughs> <laughs> always quick to remind me of that every chance he gets. <laughs> But what I was getting at... Don't get me at, wrong. Who, who, who could sell to? Don't, 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 don't sell, don't sell Robert, Robert Gibson short by any means. He was a great baby face, too. Yeah. But uh, what I was getting at, and I, I, I didn't want to say this before because I was afraid I was going to steal your thunder, but when Ricky is doing that selling and maybe he's in a submission hold or he's taking a beating, who does he reach out to tag? He's not trying to reach over to Robert. He's holding his hands out to the fans. And he's t he's asking the fans help me, you know. So so the fans will rally. Oh, he'll up literally him. he'll literally say that. See, mm -hmm. you you say that, you know, as an example, brother. I have been on I've been on the receiving end of that. I mean, it's a baby baby match, and I'm having to look at him go, brother. I, I know you're a great seller, but bring it down. You're making me look good, but we're getting ready to have a riot. <laughs> I mean, they love him that much, and he's that good. But yeah, so yeah, can't go wrong with. Ricky Morton as a perfect example of babyface. I'm going to give you my third here. And this is a guy I think probably could fit into both at, at, at different points in his career. He, he would be white meat babyface and he'd be the character babyface. Uh, recently retired. The final guy I'm going to bring up as a great babyface is Sting. Because you talk about never say die. You know, uh, From Venice he, Beach, California. <laughs> 256 pounds or whatever they build on that. I can't remember. Right. But... Like Ricky and Dusty, uh, great hero in peril. You know, Sting mm -hmm. Sting was always great at taking a beating and then rallying up and coming back. Uh, even if he wasn't the greatest promo, he had an it factor when it came to charisma. And even in the darker crow persona, he still maintained a measure of babyface elements. Now, he would tick, pick up the bat and just uh, take down somebody. But, usually but it was usually it was, because he had been provoked. Maybe not right then, but somewhere earlier he had been provoked. Right. I think we can agree on that. Right. Like the whole it, NWO angle was an example of that was righteous indignation, I think. Right. Uh, if Sting had a flaw, it's that he was too trusting. You know, how many times did Sting have a partner that turned on him? I, I, I lost count. <laughs> I, lo I lost count about the 400th time. <laughs> right. Uh, again, you never truly saw him cheap shot. Uh, and... The whole point behind his crow persona was because he had been wronged so badly, he kind of became a for, uh, like a living form of vengeance. 
I think is mm-hmm. really what what that was. It was kind of like Ghost Rider to give a, uh, a comic right. book analogy. He came. He became from. He went from being a, a, a true lawful good hero to an antihero almost. Right. And as far as character versus white meat, I don't care except at the end there when he when he was uh, you know by his own admission not using steroids and not working out like he did before. His body was always white meat, baby face, even when he was a heel early in his career. Right. I mean, he right. was jacked. Yes, and, and the fact that even well into his TNA career. Now, granted, later on in his TNA career, he went back to to uh, wrestling in a T-shirt. But mm-hmm. I was there in 2006, I want to say, when he beat Jeff Jarrett for the NWA title. So he would have been mm-hmm. 50, 40, 50. No. Yeah, yeah you're right. Probably 50, 51. Yeah. And he wrestled with no shirt in that match. And he looked exactly the same except for the the, the, the makeup. He looked exact, almost exactly the same as when he beat Flair in 90 for the NWA title. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 16-year difference. He wasn't and, as thick, but there was still obviously muscularity there and stuff. The guy was right, in shape. Right. I mean, but, we saw that all the way to the end when he unfortunately had his career ended by Seth Rollins in that, you know, and just, you know, bad spot. Here's mm-hmm. a guy in his 50s, obviously not working out and obviously not getting the chemical enhancements, but he still looks damn good for a 50-something-year-old guy. Yeah, you know? right. If I look half that good when I'm 56, I'm not going to complain. That That's genetics, which is why I say he's kind of almost a white meat baby face any way you look at it. Right. But as far as examples of him being a great baby face, obviously beating Flair, anybody that can stand up to Ric Flair and beat him uh, is a great baby face. But the one that really made me mark out and really made me kind of go, oh, man, here we go, was it was a, it was a Clash of the Champions one of the last Clash of the Champions they had, quite frankly. And it was the one-year NWO celebration, and the NWOs raining their NWO papers to, to the crowd. That's when they debuted that synthesizer, dark, uh, crow Promoting. music. Yeah, and they had that, that child uh, reading the raven-like poetry of when a man's heart's full of deceit, blah, blah, blah. And Sting's right. just standing, looking down on them. And like Kurt Russell said in Tombstone, you know, I'm coming. He and hell's say it, coming but, with me. But that that was the vibe. You know, he didn't actually say that. But yeah, I'm I'm coming, and hell's coming with me. And it's just like, oh crap! Here here it comes. That's 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 the textbook thousand yard death stare you're talking about. Right, right. Taker has that too. <laughs> yes, well, m- most all wrestlers, whether babyface or heel, have that. It should be in your. And and I and I say that to all aspiring wrestlers that might be listening. If you don't have a thousand-yard death star, you better develop one and put it in your repertoire. It is more important than the greatest moonsault or coolest submission hold you can come up with. It's one of, every great wrestler has the great thousand-yard death star. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I digress once again. <laughs> no specifics you can think of, though, other than that one? Uh, well, yeah, the, the, those, those two are probably the biggest. Um, one of the ones I loved on Sting was the one when... He came, was coming out with the bat during that whole lead up to what you're talking about, and it was always who was going to join the NWO next. Right. And he would literally hand a bat to somebody, and then turn his back on him. Right. Like, 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 like I dare you. You know, can mm-hmm. can, I, can I trust you? I mean, the two that really, really come to mind. He did that too. That was got a reaction was with Savage and with DDP. I'm sure you remember mm-hmm. both the spots. Oh, we're yeah. talking about. Yeah, a- absolutely. Because I remember fantasy booking in my head where I thought that angle was going to is when Sting finally got. Hogan in the ring, and then the NWO would come out, obviously to try to interfere. And all the guys that Sting handed that he had the bat the- to, yeah, because those were guys that Sting thought was worthy of combating right. the NWO. All those guys would come out, and we'd have the big brawl on the outside. 
Hogan and Sting are still in the in the inside, and yeah, they're holding off the troops while he gets the fair win, basically. Right, right, exactly. You know, and yeah, you you can you can close your eyes and look at that in your mind. What a great visual that is, you know. Right. Well, I think you know, Sting's 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 definitely you know one of those guys I would put on my list too. The last guy I'm going to talk about, I think, like your first choice, is your prototype white meat babyface, and that's uh, Magnum TA. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure you see him as a white meat babyface too, don't you? Yeah. Absolutely. He's got the Marlboro Man vibe to him. You could see him. Not only could you see him on a uh, wrestling magazine, but you might see him on uh, what would be a good example, like I don't like a, like a Rolling Stone or some sort of mainstream. Yeah, uh, he had that, that cool that cool cat vibe to him. You know, right? Like you said, all the girls wanted to be with him. All the guys wanted to be him. Um, Magnum exuded that. I mean, great looking guy. He had the look great for mustache. The era. Yeah, I mean, he had the, the mustache and the hair was totally 80s look. Uh, didn't shave his chest, had a little bit of chest hair, which was cool back then. And it had, wasn't, wasn't jacked like a Luger or a Hogan, but obviously didn't miss the gym very often. You know, mm-hmm. tall, 6'4", uh, had it all. Wasn't a great talker, but when he talked, you listened because it was, he was serious. You know, uh, he was, I think, to, I, I've said this before, I don't think there's a Stone Cold Steve Austin without a Magnum TA. I really don't. I think that the idea of a tough guy, almost anti-hero, I stand alone type babyface was started by Dusty Rhodes, uh, continued on with Magnum TA and perfected by Stone Cold Steve Austin. Do you see where I'm going with that analogy? Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, at, but Magnum, you know, being here in the Carolinas in that era when he was at the height of his career before the tragic car accident that shut his, cut his career short – there was no baby faces over that I've ever seen. I mean, then again, we had Dusty and the Rock and Rolls on that, and the Road Warriors on those same shows. You talk about a lot of baby faces. I mean, there's a reason why roofs got blown off buildings in the Carolinas back in the mid '80s. I mean, that's a wow. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that's a murderer's row of of baby faces I just listed off, isn't it? Absolutely. And when Magnum had his accent, now is there any sort of documentary or book or anything like that, 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 that covers what happened that night? I mean, I'm sure Magnum's no, talked about it. Before. I, there's, yeah, he has, there's the, 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 the mid Atlantic memories DVD that Dick Bourne and the guys at mid Atlantic gateway cheap plug. That's not asked for by them. Just given it that they, you know, they debuted a couple years ago at Greg Price's fan fest. Um, there's a segment in there that talks about it. Um, and there might be something on the network about it, but I don't think there's ever been a full on, uh, I, I personally feel his life pre and post accident are very worthy of a, of a, a WWF production level uh, documentary. I mean, he's he's a fascinating mm-hmm. guy. Magnum's a great guy. He's one of those guys that when you meet him personally to get off his in ring stuff, he's what you think he is outside the ring: articulate, intelligent, humble, uh, just just a good guy, you know and uh, it, it's not, I mean, I'm not spilling the beans on any inside thing. This is well documented. Here's a guy whose you know, biggest rival in his career was Tully Blanchard. Uh, when Tully, by his own admission, screwed up his life and, and lost his wife, Magnum married his wife and Magnum raised Tully's kids. So what does that say? You know, I mean, what would that say about mm-hmm. a man that would raise, uh, you know, uh, the, the children and, and Tully's fine with it. You know, Tully, Tully's thankful they had somebody like Terry in, in their lives. That's I think speaks outside of wrestling to the man. And 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 once again, you can't fake. I've talked about before. Even the greatest workers can't fake it. You need to be a little bit of who you are. I think that that speaks to and what came out in Magnum's work and Terry Allen's work. Um, right, 
Right. It, it seems like Magnum TA, and obviously I'm sure a lot of our listeners know this, but the, the TA was because his name was Terry Allen. Right. And uh, he doesn't hide that, yeah. Right. But uh, Magnum TA just seems like Terry Allen turned up to 11, just like yep. you know, Ric Flair is Richard Fleer turned up to 11. You know, a, a right. lot of the great gimmicks are just elements of the real man just, you know, turned up to 11. I actually, I think Flair has to turn his down to be consumable <laughs> on, tele- on regular broadcast television. But I, I have party with the man before. But once again, I'm digressing again on this episode. <laughs> a lot of but, personal issues here. for me. But, but for Magnum, I think one of the greatest examples, and we've talked about it a million times, and we'll talk about it a million times more because it's the match that, that you know, really shaped me and my my desire to want to be a pro wrestler is the famous I quit match. But the finish of that match, first off, a great example of, you know, the fire and uh, is that whole match. He never gives up. But the not using a weapon unless it's introduced by the heel, that's the finish of that match. Davy Dahl's the one who threw the threw the chair into the ring. Mm-hmm. Tully got the got the chair first and is the one that smashed it up and tried to spike him first. He blocked it and took it away from him. And then and then then you know, jammed it into Tully's eye and got got the submission. So there's a great example of that. And then from that moment on, where he where he he pulls it back, just like we talked about with Dusty with the shoe, he looks at, at Tully. Tully's bleeding like a stuck pig. He just throws it down. There's no point. Yeah, he could have taken that time to continue to inflict, inflict. pain and punishment on his opponent, mm-hmm. but he realized he already won the match, and that's going to hurt done- more. Than any he did he he did what he came to do right he was it wasn't about and you got to understand how bitter a blood feud this was this was one of the most heated from a live personal standpoint it's the most heated feud I've ever seen and I think oh it, you know obviously because of that it's in, it's one of the most heated I've ever seen period um so and then just the way he walked out of the ring uh, as a proud man who had done that to me, that's the ultimate babyface move right there. Uh, I, I, I came here to win the U S title. Yes. A, a benefit of that was I got to inflict pain on this, this guy who's inflicted pain and injury on me. I got to, you know, I, I got to celebrate with my fans, but I don't have to do any more. I've done enough. I'm, I'm there's it's, it's there. You don't rub salt in a wound. I've proved my point. That's an essential babyface trait um that relating to the crowd we were talking about magnum mm-hmm. did that right there right and, and magnum uh, flat out i mean you talk about swagger magnum had swagger mm-hmm. in spades oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah so to me that's just you know uh, magnum i think because of the of the brevity of his career um i think that uh, it, people don't understand how good he is and i and and uh, he was a babyface for pretty much his entire career. I don't think he ever healed. He might have earlier in his career. He wasn't a heel in his two big runs, which were, were in the Carolinas and, and Houston and Mid-South uh, with Mr. Wrestling, too, um, So and Kamala. I, I, don't, um, I don't know if he healed earlier in his career, but um, he probably is one of the greatest babyfaces of all time who's, who needs to be thrown in with the Dusties and the, and the Punkies and the Steamboat. We just don't because his career wasn't as long as theirs, unfortunately. I think. Right. Um, and, and going back to the accident, uh, there's no doubt in my mind, and I think it's even been said, had that accident not happened, he would have beaten Ric Flair for the world title at 
Starcade '86. I mean, that that's really that where the, that program that, was going that, for, right? That, that was the plan. That was the plan. Yeah, that was the plan. And I mean, there are varying opinions in the in the business that I'll tell you off air because they're not mm-hmm. for public consumption uh, of where that would have gone. But I think that that was the ultimate right. goal. I mean, he was definitely De- Dusty was the Booker. Dusty had a lot of stroke with the with the uh, office at the time because the NWA was dying and the Crocus really had all the stroke and he was their booker. Uh, and that was essentially his plan. He was, he was Dusty's handpicked guy. And mm-hmm. if you're a baby face in 1985, 1986, uh, in the NWA having Dusty Rhodes is, and Jim Crockett Jr. as two of your backers, that's not a bad thing. Let's you're you're, you're going to go far. And one other <laughs> thing about uh, Starcade 85, if you go watch it on the WWE Network, it doesn't have a TV-14 rating. It has a TV-MA rating. and That match is one of the reasons why. Exactly. I mean, that and Abdullah versus versus Manny Fernandez. Abdullah, once again, spoiler, probably one of those guys we're going to talk about in Heel 101. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're just giving you a preview of what's to come. It's, it's top of giving you this great information we're giving <laughs> you this week, listeners. <laughs> so, the, so those are our, our three mutual examples of great baby faces. And now there's one that we're going to agree on here. This is one we we decided not to talk individually about. We're, we're just going to talk. This is one we mutually agree on as a great baby face. And that is, of course, Hulk Hogan. And we are talking yeah. naturally the Hulkamania Hogan, you know, the AWA Hogan, right. the, the, the Hulkamania era Hogan. And um, but I mean, it's, I mean, regardless of all the negative things that have come out in the past few years and, you know, it is what it is. Um, uh, we're talking about his persona in the ring. We're not talking about his personal life, even though we talked a lot right. about you know Magnum's personal life. Um, we're talking it, about it, Hulk it, Hogan, not not Terry Bollea. Oh Lord, you sound like the Gawker case now. <laughs> but, anyway, <laughs> but 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 the point is, for anybody to list greatest list of baby faces of all time and not to have Hulk Hogan on that list, they're lying to themselves. It is what it is, and he might actually be the greatest baby face of all time. They're they're. There are arguments for and against, but I definitely think he's in the discussion, don't you? Absolutely, yeah. Well, you're you're the big WWF guy. I mean, I know mean, you're more of a savage guy than you were a Hogan guy, but what 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 exudes you know the greatness of of Hulk Hogan as a babyface from you know the red and yellow Hulkamania days to you? Well, you know, how often did Hogan get distracted in the match? Now, granted, the distraction finish was not done nearly as much in the '80s as it is now. Mm-hmm. But usually, if there's a distraction or there's an interference, Hogan was able to fend it off. You know, he, he, is, is a, you know, you bring up an interesting thing with that. Something that I was taught uh, when I was learning how to, to wrestle and be a good, uh, you know, effective babyface. So we're talking, you know, a year or two into my career, I'd already learned. I had the fundamentals down. I knew how to call a match. I knew how to listen to and follow in a match. I knew how to bump and all that stuff. I was learning at the actual nuances at this point, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things about it was what about distractions that I was taught was the baby face should never get distracted because he should always catch the distraction. He's right. he outsmarts the the heel, you know. Now, that's one thing if it's numbers or they blindside him, but the distraction never works because it, it, he foils it, you know. Did 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 John Wayne ever get distracted in his movies? No, no. And and here's here's an did, example. Did Bruce I'm, Lee ever did Bruce Lee ever get distracted in his movies? Nope, nope. Oh, there and, you go. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I'm just saying. Well, here's an example I meant to bring up earlier when we were talking about Sting. Mm-hmm. The original Monday Nitro, when Lex mm-hmm. Luger came out, made his surprise appearance because he was on WWE programming literally the day before, and it was mm-hmm. during a Sting versus Ric Flair match. 
Yep. Now, Sting versus Ric Flair, bo- both Sting and Flair, they kind of turn and look, and they're like, okay, w- WTF. But you know what happened? Yeah, they, you know, Flair didn't roll up Sting from behind. Uh, they, they, Sting didn't stare like a deer in the headlights. You know what Ric Flair they and Sting looked, did? They went right back to wrestling. They went right back to their match. <laughs> wow, what a novel concept. A wrestling match at a wrestling show. I'm just, <laughs> I mean, who'd ever thought that? Yeah, but uh, back, back to Hogan. I mean, you know, babyface Hogan never backed down from a fight. Like Bruno, if he cheated, it was usually in retaliation because you know, I have seen Hogan matches from back in the day where he got disqualified for using a chair after, you know, Paul Orndorff or whoever used it on him first. But they introduced it. They introduced it, not him. Exactly. Exactly. I think I th- for me, for Hogan, to, to back to my, the, the, the example I used with Bruno and, and, and you know, with the modern-day you know, Gargano, the whole when Andre turned heel, the shock and hurt on Hogan in those promos. That was exactly why, what I was going to bring up when, when he's why like, would you do Andre, this to me, Andre? You're my boy. Yes, exactly. He didn't want to fight Andre. And it wasn't because he was scared of Andre. That was never the vibe. It was it was. Why are you doing this? You know, mm-hmm. but anyway. Yeah. What uh, are other good examples you can think of? Yeah. Yeah. He, I was going to say him beating Andre at, at Mania. Uh, another good example of. Babyface Hogan was WrestleMania six when Warrior beat him one on one face to face like a man, and you know what he did? He raised Warrior's he hand. Belt. He handed Maybe him the belt. belt. Exactly. He lost a clean fight, and he and he wasn't. There was no skullduggery after that. It was okay. He was mm-hmm. the be- tonight. He was the better man. Just Hogan's. You know, I mean, he had a lot of entrance music, but the real American entrance, the Rick Derringer. Mm-hmm. Come on, man. Just the lyrics itself are everything a baby face should be. I fight for the rights of every man. I mean, I think that's part of another thing that was taught to me when you're trying to make the crowd a part of you. It was always told to me that your job as a baby face is to make the crowd feel like you're one of them and you can't win without them. And a heel's job is to make them think that he's above them or he doesn't need them. And and Hogan and, and your job as a baby face Another thing I didn't bring up when I was talking about being an effective babyface is something I tried to do. And this was difficult because I was a character babyface, and I portrayed the character of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a mentally unstable guy who heard voices and had to carry a teddy bear around all the time. Right. But even with that being said, I got the fans to understand that I was a tough guy and an athlete and that they wanted to beat up this big bad heel, but they physically couldn't, so I was going to do it for them. You feel what I'm saying? Oh, Hogan yeah. was the master at that. Hogan mm-hmm. was the absolute master at that. It was like, look, just the way he looked, he's 6'6", and just you know, ripped out of stone. Who didn't want to slap around Iron Sheik, you know? Who right. didn't want to, you know, when in his heel days, stop Big Boss Man from cuffing guys and beating them down with the nightstick. But a fan didn't have a chance against monsters like that, did they? No. Right. So Hulk Hogan was going to fight the fight they couldn't to protect it, them. It, yeah, and it's one of the interesting uh, dynamics about Hogan is – in most cases, he was usually bigger than his opponents were, and and that's mm-hmm. kind of funny when you think about it from from a babyface perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and WWE's really kind of been unique in that way, in that they would build the company around the babyface, mm-hmm. whereas a lot of other territories would have the uphill just, struggle. You know, they'd have the it's heel just always, champion. But it's always what it's always what Vince's dad wanted, what Vince wants. Vince just doesn't like heel champions. It's part of knowing the market. I think it's just a reflection of the Northeast area, and that's what those fans. I think they were like that before. That's what they were presented to them in their wrestling. You know, right. I think it's just a difference, a, a regional difference, uh, 
uh, with the northeast part of the country as opposed to the south where I'm from or the Midwest where you're from. We have a little bit different sensibilities than they do. Or the West mm-hmm. Coast is, has a different sensibility than they do. It just is what it is. And I mean, you cannot argue with the uh, success. Right. We talking about we're talking about Bruno and Hogan. Those two guys drew a lot of money. Right. <laughs> we talked about Rock and Austin earlier. Those guys drew a lot of money, and they all drew a lot of money being on top with that company. You know. So. And this is something that could be the topic of a future episode of Classic Wrestling Memories. Who's the only territory left? Who won the territory wars? The one that did it different than everybody else, mm-hmm. WWF. So, <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, I mean, we could, there's arguments for and against that, but but regardless, I mean, it's I think Hogan, Hogan just and he was a white meat baby face. I don't think you're gonna argue with me on that one. I mean, he right. he looked bleach blonde hair, the tan, the muscles, you know. Uh, he, he, he he did charity he for lo- kids just like John Cena does. Yeah, I mean, he he looked like, <laughs> as a friend of mine said. Hulk Hogan in his heyday looked like the way guys like Todd McFarlane and Alan Moore draw superheroes in comic books. <laughs> mm-hmm. He was like a he was a real life action figure, you know. Right. So it's, it's <laughs> here. Here's another example of Hogan being like a a superhero come to life, and I, I, I'm stealing a little bit here from the Brian and Vinny show, you know, Brian Alvarez and uh, a Wrestling Observer, but. Talking about the, I guess it would have been the 95 Halloween Havoc, where it was Hogan versus Giant, you know, now now the big show. Mm-hmm. And they were going to have a duel. It's like, it, it was a, they were going to face each other in a monster truck match, and then they were going to have a match in the ring at the, at the end of the night. But the build that was, up. That was, hor- that was horrible stuff. But, anyways, go ahead. <laughs> right. But, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm leading to a, to a punchline here. But mm-hmm. the, the build up to that was Giant or Big Show. I, I don't think it was literally said, but he would twist Hogan's head, you know, like he's breaking his neck. And Hogan mm-hmm. w- would wear a neck brace and wore it for weeks. It wasn't like, you know, Dean Ambrose getting his face smashed into concrete and then two, three weeks later, he's back like he's like he's normal. But, yeah. you know, uh, what, what I was getting at is Hogan was cutting this promo after he got his neck broken or sprained or whatever at the hands of the giant. And this is leading to a monster truck match. So Hogan's plan of revenge on the giant for breaking his neck is to build a monster truck. <laughs> but yet only, in w- only in WCW. <laughs> and why'd that company go out of business? <laughs> but yet it was Hulk Hogan, oh. who is like this living embodiment of a superhero. And somehow it's like if it was anybody else but Hogan... I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, yes, it was silly, but if it was anybody else but Hogan, it just would have come across a whole lot worse, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah, yeah, it does. I understand where you're going with it. I mean, like I said, I, look, as a, from a fan standpoint, I couldn't stand Hogan, even as a kid. Uh, I mean, when my baby faces were guys like Ricky Morton and Ricky Steamboat and, and Magnum TA in my territory, I saw somebody like Hogan, I'm going, what a cartoon. But I think that was the mm-hmm. point, you know? Right, I right. Think that yeah. was the point. <laughs> and, and then though it did, it res- not, did not resonate with me, uh, he sold a lot of tickets and I saw a lot of happy kids in those crowds in those days and kids my age. So it resonated with people. It didn't resonate with me. It resonated with others. I, I, you can't, you can't argue success. Right. Um, another example, so. uh, edge, you know, the, mm-hmm. the uh, he, uh, at least what he says, you know, he was in attendance at WrestleMania six and there, there is video and photographic evidence of him being in the crowd when Hogan mm-hmm. and warrior were introduced. That was when he realized that he wanted to be a pro wrestler was watching. That was his I quit Hogan match and Warrior. For me. Yeah, 
Yeah, that, that's saying. that's when he realized, okay, th- th- this is what I want to do. Yeah, we. I think all of us have that that moment. Mick Foley has that once again photographic evidence in the crowd when Jimmy Snuka jumps off the top of the cage on Don Morocco. Well, I think all of us have that moment, and it goes, it plays into what we talked about. We're all talking about baby faces here. For me, it was Magnum. For for Mick Foley, it was Jimmy Snuka. For for Edge, it was Hulk Hogan. We were so much a part of them, and we were so important to their victory, and they were fighting for us. They motivated us to follow in their footsteps and become wrestlers ourselves. Think about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's the ultimate statement on how effective a babyface these guys were. You know, that that guys that were nobodies like me to Hall of Famers like Mick and and, and Adam, because of one singular moment, motivated them to, to take a path for the rest of their life. That's that's the epitome of a babyface. I don't think you could make a more strong statement, can you? Well, you know, I mean, I think you know we we've kind of we all know Hogan we said bad or worse, you can drop you can you can talk all you want about his personal life as of current you know events. He still was maybe the greatest baby face of all time. And all the guys we listed were, were great baby faces. And I think there's a lot of others that we didn't talk about in detail. But uh, we, like we said, we invited you listeners to give us yours. I think some other ones that Merritt just mentioned, uh, I think uh, the Road Warriors, mm-hmm. uh, The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels. Um, can you think of any others that maybe, maybe merit some mentioning that we aren't going to go into depth about, but obviously were great baby faces in there? in their in their day well i remember telling you off mike in 1997 my favorite wrestler on the planet was lex luger when he was a good when he was a baby face he was effective barry Windham was a mm-hmm. great baby face a lot of these guys we know that they had heel careers as well but yeah, yeah. we're talking about their baby face runs go back and look at, at some of the some of their stuff uh dr death steve williams uh jim duggan uh, junkyard dog how can we not mention him what a what an effective baby face he was uh yeah uh there's we could we could go on and on and on, but there's there's been a lot of great baby faces. I think those are some other ones we didn't go into depth with that are probably on that list of all time greats, though, wouldn't you say? Yeah, e- even some Japanese examples like Hiroshi Tanahashi. I mean, even if you don't understand Japanese, mm-hmm. he's another guy. He he oh, walks and, out and, and, and you and know he's a good him, guy. Antonio Inoki, uh, the Hiroshi Hase. Um, there's a lot. There's a mm-hmm. lot out there. Right. Absolutely. I mean, if, if you go to England. Uh, he wasn't a great worker as far as in-ring technician, but there was no bigger star for years than Big Daddy Shirley. Mm-hmm. So Shirley Crabtree, there's a lot of great baby faces out there. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to wind things up here. Uh, we got a really fun segment. I, I, I think we'll just kind of leave it for a surprise here, and we'll, we'll kind of wrap up our talk on Babyface 101 when we come back. If you're looking for a gaming-oriented podcast, then look no further than You Just Got Fragged. Join host Jared Aubrey and his panel of enthusiasts as they talk the news and video games, achievements, and, of course, the gripe of the week. That's all at YouJustGotFragged.com, part of the A1-Wrestling.com podcast family. Welcome back, wrestling fans, here to Classic Wrestling Memories. I do have with me here the Crazy Train, who had his match with Barry Windham for the U.S. title, and unfortunately it was ruined by Tully Blanchard hitting him with a chair and costing him his chance at the U.S. title against Barry Windham. So, Crazy Train, I have you here with me. What do you have to say for yourself? Well, first off, Seth, I want to thank you for this opportunity to come out here and talk to these great fans we got here at the arena that just saw what happened. You know, Tully Blanchard, a lot of times you have have jumped other guys from behind, and I said, I don't have to worry about it. It's not going to happen to me. I'm too smart for that. I'm too quick for that. 
Tully Blanchard's never going to get one over on me. But I got to give you credit this time, Tully. You caught me when I wasn't looking. You taught me. You caught me with my pants down, so to speak. But, you know, Mama told me a long time ago, she said, son, it's not about getting knocked down. It's about getting back up. And I want you fans out there to know I'm not going to let this go unpunished. I heard you. I know you didn't like it any more than I did. Believe me, the back of my head is feeling it right now. I'm going to make sure next week I'm asking the promoter right now, get the contract. I will sign it. I want you, Tully Blanchard. I'm going to see what you can do when you face me from the front, not from the back. Yeah, I'm fair, and I'm a good guy, and I like to have fun, and I bring Teddy to the ring with me. But that, that, That's okay. I don't think you have what it takes to face me one-on-one. You're a great wrestler. I will not take that away from you, Tully Blanchard. You have won many titles, but you prevented me from winning a title I wanted. So you know what? It's personal now. Forget titles. You and me, one-on-one. Next week, sign it. Seth, I don't care what you got to do. You go in the back right now and you get the promoter. You get the matchmaker. You get the match signed. I want Tully Blanchard next week in this very building face-to-face and let's see if he can be the man he thinks he is and he says he is looking me straight in the eye and not from behind. You heard it straight from Crazy Train's mouth himself here, ladies and gentlemen. We're out of time here. Thank you for joining us here on Classic Wrestling Memories, and we'll be back with you next week talking Heel 101. Classic Wrestling Memories is part of the A1-Wrestling.com podcast family. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and at ClassicWrestlingMemories.com. Some media used on Classic Wrestling Memories is copyright of its respective publisher, all rights reserved. But I, I, I got to at least try this and you know, let, let, let me know what you think. Okay. Tully Blanchard, you proved something that I have believed for a long time. And that's that fear will motivate a man to do things that he normally wouldn't do. Tully Blanchard, you took a chair and you hit me from behind and you put me down for the count. And you know what that means, Tully Blanchard? That means that you fear me. You're afraid of what I can do. You're afraid that I can actually beat you. And that's why you took the low road. You hit me when I wasn't looking. You put me down because you don't think you can beat me face-to-face, one-on-one. Well, next week, Tully Blanchard, it's you and me in the middle of that ring. No chairs, no gimmicks, nothing from behind, no cheap shots. It's just man-to-man, one-on-one. I'm bringing everything I got, Tully Blanchard, and I hope you got it, too. You were channeling your Jake the Snake there. I, I could hear it. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs>